turn with me to John chapter 1. We're going to begin a new series. How many love a good series? This series might take us a while. This series is called The Gospel According to John. John had a lot to say. And so we are going to be reading from the book of John. Um, a few things about John real quick as we get ready to launch into this. First of all, John hung out with Jesus. Wouldn't that be cool to be one of the ones that hung out with Jesus? He was one of Jesus' inner circle. Uh, not only was he one of the 12, but he was one of the three. Um, as we'll find out later, he, he even felt like he was one of the one. Like he felt like he was very close to Jesus. John is part of what we call the Gospels. If you've ever learned your books of the Bible, you learn Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you go and read them, what you'll find is Matthew, Mark, and Luke um, are a little different than John. John comes at the story of the life of Jesus a little bit different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We believe, let me tell you, that this is the inspired and errant word of God. Like this, this is the word of God, and we believe it. And if, uh, I've, man, I've gotten in trouble for saying this in the past, um, but I'm going to say it again. Um, because if there's the Bible and there's your opinion and you hold them up next to each other and they disagree with one another, what's wrong isn't the Bible, it's your opinion. Like, you need to change your mind to believe what the Bible says. Can I tell you something, y'all, and you're, you're not going to like this because I'm a pastor. There's some things in this Bible that I don't like and I don't necessarily agree with. But it's the word of God. So I will change my mind to believe what this says. I know I'm supposed to be a pastor. I'm supposed to just like all this stuff. I read this someday and I don't like that. But if it says it, this is like, like God breathed this out. And so uh, we're, we're going to lean into this. We're going to lean into John and when we look at it, let's, let's dive in here. In John chapter 1, this is what it says. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And, and I'm going to stop even right here. Now, this is why you realize this series might take us a while, because I am like four words in and we're stopping already. It's going to take us a long minute. Maybe not as long as my dad's sermon series on Hebrews. Some of you know. But it might, it might be its little brother. We'll find out. Um, in the beginning was the word. And when John writes this, he's saying something to the reader. He's helping them remember something else. See, all the other gospels, they start in different places, mostly with the birth of Christ, or the gene genealogy of Christ. But this actually goes back to in the beginning. And what this is pointing back to is Genesis. Has anyone in here ever read Genesis? And how does it start with? It starts with in the beginning. And so John knows this as he writes this. He knows that he's going to be pointing back to Genesis. And his reader will understand that. These Jewish readers will understand that he's pointing back to the first book of the Bible. And we all know that the first thing the Lord does in Genesis chapter 1 is he says, let there be light. Or actually he says, light be exist 
And it says, and light exists. So he uses the spoken word. And this is what we find out about God in Genesis chapter one, is that when God says something, it has to happen. Like he cannot lie. So even if it doesn't exist, if he says light exists, then light has to come into existence. That is the God we serve. So here, John is saying, in the beginning was the word. And this word here is logos, and it is the spoken word. There's the written word, but this is the spoken word, which also we just talked about in Genesis chapter 1, that the Lord spoke, light exists, and it came into being. So in the beginning was the word, and you'll notice that word was with a capital W. And this word logos is also, when we're saying spoken word, I don't just mean I said something, right? It's not just like, I'm going to sometimes, preachers are guilty of just getting up and saying something. My dad always said, don't get up and just say something. Make sure you have something to say, right? I've been to, we're not going to go on rabbit trails because that would just be saying something. But uh, yeah. And for the sake of time, we got to get through this in a couple of years, so we got to keep moving. But this word logos means to say something. This is also a word sometimes used in the original language that means to mandate or to order. It, it means like it's a concluded matter. It's the conclusion of it. Like, I'm not just saying something. I'm saying this is the way it is. So when he says, in the beginning was the word, this is not just some word. This is the word word and it says this the word was with god and the word was god now that can seem confusing because it says the word was with god and the word also was god and this is where our theology matters and the word theology simply just means the study of god it's a fancy word that you'll hear people say sometimes the word was with God, but the word was God. Now, heresy is a terrible thing. And when I see heresy, I'm going to confront it. Sometimes you might have a couple of guys come up to your house in white shirts, riding on bicycles. And they might knock on your door, and they might want to talk to you. And they might hand you a Bible and have you read this verse. And when they hand it to you, it might say this. It might say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. But when we go back and read the original language, how I many of the Bible wasn't written in English? When we go back and read the original language, to put that A there, because what these folks believe is that Jesus, who we'll find out he's the one that's the Word, is just a God. He's not God. He is a God. So adding that word a changes the meaning of the whole thing. It means, so the word was with God, and he was also a God. So Jesus isn't God himself. He's just a God. But to do that is to be dishonest with the original text. To do that, there's other places, even in their own Bible, where they don't add that a in. So they just kind of insert it when it's convenient for them. The other part is we have to read the context of this entire passage. And when you read the rest of these verses, which we're about to do, you'll realize that the author, John, he's actually saying that the word was with God, but the word actually also was God himself. So in the very beginning, 
before light was ever spoken to existence, Jesus was with God, but Jesus also is God. Look at verse 2. It says, he was in the beginning with God. Reinforces that. And look at verse 3. It says, all things were made through him, through the word. And without him was not anything made that has been made. I, I love this when you go back and look at the original language, that word anything. It, it means like any one thing, any single thing. What it really actually means is there has not been one thing ever made that wasn't made through Jesus, through the word. Not even one thing. Not even Jesus himself. Why? Because Jesus was there before the foundation of the world. Why? Because he is God. He's not a God. He is God himself. And then we start getting into the meat and potatoes of, of some of this. Well, I guess we already are into the, the heavy stuff here. What you have to realize as we're reading this passage today, these, these first few verses, this entire book right here of John should be read through the context of the first 18 verses. Like the first 18 verses is like the introduction which is a, a great outline for the rest of everything we're about to read, everything we're about to study. And what I hear so much from people, one of the reasons I've decided uh, to do this, I've heard from people time and time again, they're like, I just don't know the word really well. Like, I, I struggle, Pastor, telling people about Jesus because I'm not really sure I know the word really well. Can I tell you, we're going to dive deep into this. And as we're diving deep into this and going through this, by the time we get through this series, you might, know the might not know the entire word very well, but can I tell you, you'll know the book of John very well. And why John? Because most Christians believe one of the best places to start when preaching the gospel is in the book of John. In fact, it's very often when I, I uh, have a new believer come to Christ, I point them to John to get started in reading. So we're diving into this because this is a great foundation for all of us. And whether you've been serving the Lord all your life or you, whether you're a new believer, when we get through this, you're going to know the gospel of Jesus Christ inside and out. And what we're establishing this morning is this. First of all, Jesus is God, and the entire world was made through him and by him. It says in verse 4, in him was life. And this word life is Z-O-E in the Greek. And it says the life was the light of men. Remember that light that was spoken into existence? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you realize that, that the world itself loves to live in darkness? Even go back to Genesis chapter 1, where it talks about that the whole earth was disorderly and chaos and in darkness. That's the way it's described. And yet here breaks in Jesus. And what is Jesus described as? He is life and he is light. So many times in my life when I go through difficult situations, how many have ever felt that darkness just weighing down on you and pushing in on you? Like, it's awful. It's awful. I, I, there's been times even physically, like when I've been physically sick, and how many know, like, 
it's nighttime and you're feeling awful. And there's been times I just can't wait for the sun to come up. Like, it would just feel better if the sun would just come up. I would just feel, feel just a little bit better. It doesn't really change anything besides it's just not night anymore. Here is Jesus. He is the light of the world. In the middle of our darkness, in the middle of our struggles, in the middle of our pain, here is Jesus. He rises up. He is the light. And this light is this power source. And I don't think we really have a word in our English language to really describe this kind of, of light because they understood it a little bit different than we do. Um, we, we, I'm reading this book now about how we really try to get too logical with the Bible. We really try to, like, dissect it and get way logical with it, not realizing that this thing is a supernatural book and describes supernatural things that don't make logical sense. Right? Like, one thing that's been messing with me is, like, angels and demons. We never talk about angels and demons, but the Scripture describes angels and demons. You don't hear about that in the typical church because we don't want to seem weird. And I get that. No one wants to be seen weird. But the Bible describes a spiritual realm that we don't see, stuff going on that we don't know about, and it's in here. There's a spiritual darkness that, that weighs down and is pushing against us. We have an enemy. The Scripture tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So, Cody, when I have a problem with you, it's not really you that I have the problem with. There's an enemy. There's a real enemy, and he is trying to cause a division between us. Now, we're fine, right? We're, we're good, right? We're good? We're good. Yeah, love you too. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, that there is unseen forces. There's, there's powers that pressing in. There is a darkness out there. And what the Scripture tells us, that the light shines in the darkness. And I, I love it because it doesn't matter how dark the darkness, even the smallest candle will shine through. You can turn the darkness as dark as you can get it, and just a single, single point of light will shine in that dark room. I forgot, Eddie, I was going to do an illustration where we turned down the lights and stuff, but I forgot to tell you about it. We're good, though. We're just going to keep moving on because this is a long series. It says the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And, and I would love just to just let me just strip the years of reading this scripture off of your eyes and heart for a moment. The darkness has not overcome it. Imagine if you if you have sons. I've seen this with my nephews or like one of them steals the other one's hat or something. The other one decides I need that back. And what do they do? They run after their brother, they tackle them to the ground, and they rip and pry that hat out of their hand, right? They have overcome their brother. Like, that's what this word is. It's not just like, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. It's like, the darkness can try. It can go clawing and screaming and tearing at the light, but it doesn't matter what it does, the darkness will not overcome it. Some translations say, but the darkness cannot comprehend it it cannot understand it it doesn't matter how much the darkness tries to like okay i i think i can come at it this way and yet which isn't that how crazy the enemy is the devil is like he's he's running at the god of the universe thinking 
I'm going to take him out. I'm going to mess up his people. The God of the universe. The God of the universe. The scripture tells us that at the end of time, that we're going to see the enemy. And when we see him, we're going to say, that's him? That, that's the one that caused the nations to, to rage? That's, that, that's him? Just him? And in our minds, we think it's like in the cartoons, like there's a little angel and a little devil, and they're battling, and oh, no, who's going to win? But that's not it. That's not it at all. It's the God of the universe. I mean, he could just, and it's over. And for some reason, though, he's chosen you and me to partner with him to stand against the enemy. The darkness cannot comprehend it. They can't grab they, Not only can they not grab a hold of it physically, but they, they can't even grab a hold of understanding it, even in their mind. Like, I just, I can't. It tells us this in verse 6. It tells us that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is not the John that wrote this. This is a different John. This is John the Baptist. It says, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And can I tell you, John was a forerunner is what he was. He was a forerunner. Scripture tells us in other places that that John, his, his cry was to tell us that the Messiah was coming. He would cry, make straight the paths. Like, get ready. And th- this is a cry that they would yell, like, for us to hear that. Like, make straight the paths. Like, basically saying, get out of the way. The king is coming, is what he was saying. Like, that's literally what that meant. Like, get out of the way. The king is coming. Which, if you liked that king, if you thought he was a good king, would excite you. would be like, oh, my goodness. Like, it's like a celebrity coming to town. Like, oh, I can't wait. I think Justin Bieber was in Tulsa last weekend, and some people went crazy to go see that guy. Jesus is in the house today. Now, if you didn't like the king, it might upset you. But how do we know he's still the king, so you better get out of the way if he's coming through. Like, make straight the path. Get out of the way. He's coming through one way or the other. And that's... That's what uh, John's cry was. He said, this is a man whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. He was a forerunner, someone who goes before. And, and that's something I get asked from time to time, what does forerunner mean? Because it's not a word used a lot in our language today. But forerunner is somebody who runs before, who goes in front of the rest. John was a forerunner. And, you know, the Scripture teaches us that Jesus was our forerunner. In military terms, the forerunner was the one, the first group that went out and took took the brunt of the of the battle, that made a clear way so that the next group could come through. Do you realize that that Jesus he took the onslaught of the enemy, so that we can now follow in his footsteps? I say it all the time, and I, I say it at school a lot, just because sometimes we'll go on little field trips around the school and. I need the kids to come with me, and I love not telling them where we're going because it confuses them. And I love confused teenagers. It's just, 
my favorite thing, and I will tell them, follow me as I follow Christ. And then, Where are we going? We'll find out. It's an adventure. How many of that's your life sometimes? I don't know where we're going, Jesus. I'm just going to follow you. John was a forerunner. He came as a witness to the light. Do you realize this is us, too, that we are witnesses to the light? And forerunner house of prayer, it's no mistake that that's the name of our church. We are forerunners. Why? To tell others about Jesus. There are people that will know Jesus if the Lord waits to come back. They will know Jesus 50 years from now because of your faithfulness of declaring the word of the Lord. And I love the fact that our church has decided to get outside of these four walls and start telling people about Jesus. Can, can I tell you, next Sunday, at the beginning of service, we have some men that we're going to lay hands on at the beginning of service, and then we're going to kick them out of this church. We're not going to let them come to church next Sunday. What are they going to do? They're going to go out into our community and tell people about Jesus while we're in here doing this. Is that biblical? Jesus did it. It says he sent them out two by two. That word sent means he ejected them. He said, get out, go. That's what I've been challenging our D groups with, and we finally get into that place. Like, guys, we got to get out of our living rooms and start getting in our community. Yes, we need to gather in our living rooms, and we need to talk about Jesus. We need to challenge each other. Iron sharpens iron. But at some point, we need to go grab other people and pull them in and say, now I'm going to make you a disciple. What is a disciple but someone who makes disciples that makes disciples? What was John's message? It was this, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, I want to stop here again because, once again, when I see heresy, I want to address it. The first one I addressed was Jesus. He is God. Now, is he also at the right hand of God? Yes. Do I understand that? No. I don't. I don't understand it. But this one I do understand a little more. There's a group out there that believe that because Jesus came, that everyone is just automatically going to go to heaven. That when Jesus saved everyone, he saved everyone. What we have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, is that when we read the word, we can't just pick out one verse and hold it up and say, this is what the Bible says. How many have ever had someone take your words out of context and it made you angry? Did you say that? Well, yeah, I said it, but I said more with that, too. The same thing with the Word of God. You can make it say anything you want it to say if you just pick out one verse. And what people will do, they'll say this. They'll say, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world to say, they'll say, look, see, Jesus gave light to everyone. So Jesus was light, and he gives you some light, and he gives you some light, and he gives you some light, and now you guys are all light, too, and so now we're all going to heaven. Because he gave light to everyone. This is where it's really important to, to study these things and, and look at them. We've seen the word light in this passage a lot. Right? But this word light in the second half of verse 9 is a different word. This word light is actually not light. You can actually maybe circle it. It says the true light. That's just the word light which gives light to everyone, that's actually th those three words, gives light to. 
See those three words? Gives light to. That's the actual word in the Greek. And what does that mean, to give light to? I think maybe they should have chosen this word instead, illuminate. Illuminate. The true light which illuminates everyone. It's not that you are now light because Jesus came. It's that you are now exposed because Jesus came. That he has turned on the lights and now the cockroaches run. He's, he's shown up and now we're shown for who we really are. He illuminates everyone. So the one who illuminates everyone has come into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And this word receive is kind of like what we talked about a while ago about understand. It's, it's this to lay hold of, to grab a hold of. It's not just like, like here's a Kleenex and I throw it at you and it kind of lands in your lap. And you're like, oh, thanks, whatever. To receive is like you take a teenager's cell phone. And like, give me that back. And they grab it back and they receive it back. They've got it. They've received it. This is mine, my precious. But it says his own people didn't receive him. They didn't pull him in. And why does this matter? Because of the next verse, verse 12. It says, but to all who did receive him, to all who did lay hold of him, pulled him in, made him their own. And he elaborates this when he says, who believed in his name. Well, wait a minute. We haven't even heard his name yet. Like I've said it to you guys this morning, but understand, John has not yet mentioned who this true light is yet. He's leaving us hanging. He says he gave the right to become children of God. I want you to underline and circle that word right. He gave the right. This word is he gave. It's not just that you become a child of God. It's that he gives you the authority of being a child of God. There's something about being someone's child that gives you authority. If, if you all went out to my parents' house and just walked in, they, they might not like that much. But guess what? Their kids and their grandkids, they can just barge right in. Doesn't matter any time of day or night, just in we go. Why? Because they have that right and authority as kids. And your kids that have that same right in your house, probably, but do you realize that we have the right and the authority, if we've believed in his name, if we've received him, then we now have the right to be the children of God. We have the authority to be the children of God, which says something. He could have described this relationship in any way, shape, or form. It's not just a contractual relationship. It's just not just like, oh, God, you're good, and now we're whatever. It's this intimate father-son relationship, father-daughter relationship, that you are a child of God. That makes people uncomfortable sometimes. They'd rather God just be, some people would rather God just be this distant being that gives rules and I can just follow the rules. Because then it, then it can stay kind of like 
I can be detached with my emotions on this whole thing. Just give me the rules I have to keep, and I will keep them, and everything will be fine. Y'all, he did that. That's what the whole Old Testament is. It's the law. It's the rules. And what the Scripture tells us is the rules, all it did was expose how much we couldn't keep the rules. That he didn't want just rules. He wanted relationship. And that's why God became a man, to show us, I don't just want rules. I want relationship with you. I want to know you. I want you to understand that when you hurt, I hurt. That when you're excited, I get excited. This is the God of the universe who becomes a man just to show us that he loves us and that he wants a relationship with us as a father does with his own child. Him who believed in him, he gave them the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, or the will of man, but of God. And, and we'll get more into this in, in John chapter 3 when we talk about being born again. But how many know that when you receive Christ, you are born again? When you trust in his name, you are born again. You become something new. And it's, it's nothing you did. It's nothing your parents did. It's all because God loves you. And he willed it. Think about this for a second. What can separate you from the love of God? Nothing. What if you screw up? What if you struggle? Can that separate you from the love of God? No, because even the fact that you've received him wasn't because you said, you know what? I'm going to receive him. No, it's because God decided, you're going to receive me. Wait a minute. What about free will? You mean we don't choose to serve Christ? Go with me for a second. From where you're sitting and I'm sitting, it does look like we choose him. But what he's telling us is, no, he chose us. Is that fair? I don't know. He's God. And we're just his clay. Does the clay have any right to look at the potter and say, why did you make me this way? That's what it says in Romans. No, you're just clay. All we can do is be what we were created to be. Doesn't that instill some confidence in you, though? Like, especially in those days where you really struggle, and like, am I good enough? Am I really good enough to be a child of God? And his message over you is, you absolutely are. Because I chose you. It had nothing to do with your performance, no Nothing to do with how great I think you are. It's all just because I chose you, and you're my kid. And you've been born because of my will. And this is what it tells us about this word that we've now learned about. This word which is light, and it's life. Say life. It's life. It's that same thing, like, when I'm feeling dark and gloomy and in despair, he gives me life. Say life. There's a few of you. And then you take a couple deep breaths and realize that he's given you life. Some of you are thinking about how long this sermon series is going to be, and you're getting a little, little tired. Let me tell you, he'll give you life. Verse 14 tells us this. And Robert, can you come on up? 
It says that the word became flesh. The word that was at the creation of the world, that is God himself, became flesh. That's this, I ruined pinch, pinch your hand or pinch your neighbor. They have flesh. Yeah, it'll wake them up, right? That's flesh. It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and th this word dwelt among us, it, it, it actually means like he made a tent among us. When you might be thinking, why would, why would, I've been camping. Why would Jesus, why would God need to make a tent among us? So most theologians agree that when it says he made his dwelling among us or he made a tent among us, he's referring to the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Now, some of you might not know what the tabernacle is in the Old Testament. Maybe you've been to the camp and that's the only tabernacle you know. Um, that's okay. But in the Old Testament, God made a decision. He looked at his chosen people and he said, I want to be with them. And as people looked up on the mountain and saw the lightning and the smoke and all the craziness going on and the thunder, and they were like, yeah, no. You look like you'd kill us if you came down here and lived among us. So God came up with a plan. He said, we're going to make a tent. And in this tent, we're going to put a box. I'm going to pour myself out into that box. Now, God's everywhere. But he was really, especially in that box. We call it the ark. And if you wanted to meet with God, you would go to this tent called the tabernacle. So this tabernacle then was seen as almost this bridge between God and man. This meeting place between God and man. That's what the tent was. That's what the tabernacle was. And what this verse is telling us is that God, the Word, made a tent among us, made a tabernacle. What does that mean? It means Jesus was the meeting place between God and man. A place where you could go and know who God is. That God showed us who he was through Jesus Christ. It says that the word became flesh and he made a tent. He dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. We sang that this morning, right? Show us your glory. How do we see his glory? This is John. Remember, this is John who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus. And now he's writing these things. I think one of the most powerful moments in movie history I've seen is the second season of The Chosen where John is sitting there trying to write about what he remembered about Jesus. And he starts with this right here. He says, we have seen his glory. Glory as the son of, as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Can you say that with me? Say grace and truth. Say that in grace and truth. Can I, can I tell you that grace is such a wonderful thing? What is grace? Grace is getting something you don't deserve. And when we were given the gift of eternal life by believing on Jesus Christ, that was grace. And what is truth? Truth is, is in this word. I, 
I've seen churches, though, they get so caught up in grace, 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 and they let go of truth, and they get off into some weird stuff. Weird stuff. They, they get so far off into this grace that they actually start living in sin and thinking it's okay. It's not okay. Why? Because the Word tells us that grace was meant to change us and turn us from sin. Not to make us think, oh, there's grace. There's grace. Oh, I know, I know God will forgive me. There's grace. I'll just keep doing that. That's not. But then I've seen other churches get so caught up in truth, 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 they become legalistic and mean. They become jerks. Right? Rules, 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 rules. Truth, 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 truth. But look at Jesus. What was Jesus? It says he was what? He was full of grace and truth. He had the grace. He had the truth. It tells us in verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me, or comes, excuse me, comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. What's crazy is that Jesus came after John, and yet John saying, no, Jesus was before me. How could that be? He was there from the beginning of time. He was a forerunner. Can I tell you, when it says he cried out, I mean, in the Bible, when it says someone cries out, it, it means that they cry out. If you've ever had your kid scream your name in the middle of the night, what does that do to you? It makes you jump up and run, right? They cry out. That's that kind of language right there. Here's John. What is he crying out? He's crying out that Jesus is coming. That there's one coming after me, but he's actually before me. That this Jesus is the most important thing that will ha ever happen to humanity. Verse 16, John the writer picks up like this. He says, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. How many are thankful for grace? From the fullness of Jesus, we have seen, received grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. We know the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And you know what? He saved you and he gave you grace knowing that you're going to mess up again, which is totally unfair for him. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. And I, I'm going to stop. Because, yeah, the law was the rules. But sometimes I think in our Christian circles, we, we, um, we uh, poo-poo on the law too much. I mean, David delighted himself in the law of the Lord. Like, there's a place for the law. 
What is law? The law is truth. That's what it is. Remember, Jesus is full of grace and truth. In fact, we know that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So you can't just take the Old Testament and say, well, that's the Old Testament. That's the law. I have nothing to do with that. That's not what this is saying. It's actually saying Moses gave us the law, and, and, and that was actually a good thing. But then it says this. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He came to fulfill the law with something like we couldn't understand how to fulfill the law on our own. We could try. We keep screwing up. We keep messing up. But here comes Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth, and now we know his name. Now we know the light's name. Underline that Jesus Christ in your Bible, because now the main character of this story has appeared, and he is light, and he is life, and he is grace and truth, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Can you say the name of Jesus this morning? Can you say the name of Jesus? When you find yourself in darkness and you don't know what to do, you say the name of Jesus. There's power in speaking the name of Jesus. When you don't feel life and you feel like all of your energy has been sucked from you, you can speak the name of Jesus because there's grace and truth and there's life in the name of Jesus. When you don't know which way to turn, you speak the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Of Jesus. Sometimes God seems so far away. Doesn't he? Sometimes he seems distant. And I think that's what John was addressing when he said, verse 18. Will you stand with me? He said, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. And, and I, I want to say again, I don't understand this. I don't know how you can be God and also at God's side at the same time. I don't get it. But apparently you can if you're God. Sometimes we feel like, like God, I've never seen you. I don't know what you look like. I don't know how you are. No one has ever seen God, the only God. Remember, there's only one God. Who's at the Father's side? But then it says this about Jesus Christ. It says, He has made him known. Who has made him known? Jesus. The word is making God known. He's making him known. He's making him known. What? See, many, many scholars believe that there should be three dots after this word known. Dot, dot, dot. And now I'm not a Greek scholar, but in the original language in Greek, you don't end a sentence in a verb. And that's exactly how this sentence ends, is in a verb. Like there's not, there's supposed to be something that comes after it. 
Like he has made him known. And so how do we finish this? What comes after it? He has made him known. How? Can I tell you how? That's what I think John was being clever here. He said, I'm going to tell you how he's made him known. And he gives us this, the rest of this entire book. He gives us the rest of chapter 1. He moves into chapter 2 and chapter 3. Of course, it wasn't chapters to him. To him, it was, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it was calling the first disciple. And it was on the roof with Nicodemus. And it was sitting at the Last Supper with his disciples. He's making him known by these things, which we're going to get into in the weeks and, and months to come. And can I tell you, I'm going to need some of your help. There's some Sundays I'm not going to be here. But you know what is going to be here is this word. And some of you are going to have to step up and pick up where I leave off. So some of you need to start studying John. You need to start diving into John so that if I leave off, you can say, okay, last week we left off in verse 18. We're going to start in verse 19. Here we go. And by the time we get to the end of the book of John, it's not that we're going to know John. That's not what we're trying to make known. We're not trying to make John known. What are we trying to make known? The name above all names. The light in the darkness. The life giver. The one of who we can comprehend because he has chosen us as sons and daughters. It's Jesus who died on a cross. For who? For me and for you. Taking away all of our sin and all of our shame. And rose from the dead. We're about to baptize here in just a second. And what is that to show us dying with Jesus and being made born to life again? If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have died. They've passed away. Everything is now new. Why? Because of Jesus, not because of us, not because of forerunner. Because of Jesus. Because he is good. Can I get the rest of the worship team to come up? Jesus is good. And Forerunner House of Prayer, I challenge you this week, study John the Baptist. Study John the Baptist. Like, look at him, because he's a, he's a forerunner. Forerunner. It's time for us to study a, a forerunner. Forerunner. 